Welcome back to our study of 2 Kings. In fact, this is the final session in our study of 2 Kings. And I just want to say here at the beginning, whether you've been with us all the way through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, or whether you jumped in somewhere along the way, thank you for joining us, whether you've been listening on the podcast or watching the videos. Uh, just thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this study. I've enjoyed it and been blessed by it, and I hope you have as well. So let's dig in to this last chapter. We have seen this coming for some time now. Uh, the exile of Judah already began in chapter 24, and now we see uh, sort of the last stages of it in chapter 25. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. Remember, chapter 24 ended with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, rebelling against the Babylonians. Babylon had already carried many of the people of Judah off to um, exile and uh, carried them off into Babylon. Uh, but he left some of the people there, and uh, Zedekiah was in charge and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon, and so now Nebuchadnezzar has come again, and he has laid siege to Jerusalem. Um, and it says, and they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the 11th year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Now let's just pause there and talk about how terrible this is. Based on the numbers uh, they give us here, it sounds like this siege lasted about a year, maybe a little bit longer. And when a city is besieged like this, and then especially when they begin to run out of food, uh, things get terrible, horrible. Um, and if you want to get an idea of uh, the depth of this uh, hardship and heartbreak that the people of Jerusalem experienced, uh, read the book of Lamentations. That's what Lamentations is about. It's lamenting the fall and destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, anyway, this is a horrible experience. And uh, verse 4 says, Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden. And the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, were around the city, and they went in the direction of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and bound him in chains, and took him to Babylon." All right, so not only uh, is there no food in the city, but the king and some others escape from the city. But of course, because the Babylonians have it besieged, there's really no escaping. So they track down the king and they slaughter his sons in front of him, which is also horrifying. And then they gouge out his eyes so that the last thing that he saw was the terrible death of his sons. And then they bind him in chains, and carry him off to Babylon, right? This is um, a terrible fate, right? This is uh, incredibly uh, hard 
dark time for the people of Jerusalem. Then verse 8 says, In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city, and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. All right, so what just happened here is that the house of the Lord, which is the temple that Solomon had built, the house of the Lord is burned down. It is destroyed. And the wall around the city of Jerusalem is broken down. And more of the people of Jerusalem are carried off now into exile. Those who deserted, probably meaning those who were in the city during the siege and did not want to suffer all the hardships that would come with that siege. And so they uh, surrendered themselves to the Babylonians. The Babylonians wouldn't take them off to Babylon right away because they were there besieging the city. But now that the siege has come to an end, the temple has been destroyed, the people are being carried off uh, to Babylon. All right, and uh, not just the house of the Lord, but also all the great houses, it said. The king's house and others were also burned down. All right, now verse 13. <clears throat> and the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, and the sands and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service, the fire pans also and the bowls. What was of gold the captain of the guard took away as gold, and what was of silver as silver. As for the two pillars, the one sea, and the stands that Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these vessels was beyond weight. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits, and on it was a capital of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits. A latticework and pomegranates, all of bronze, were all around the capital. And the second pillar had the same with the latticework. Okay, so let's pause and think about this right here. What does it mean that he carried off the gold as gold and the silver as silver. What it means is all these things that have been dedicated to the service of the Lord, dedicated, set apart as holy for the worship of God as, at, at the temple, he's not treating those as holy objects. He's not treating those as objects dedicated to God. He's just treating them as things that happen to be made out of silver and gold, which is what he wants, right? That's what he's carrying away, the silver, the gold, and the bronze. It doesn't matter to him that they were used for the worship of God. He's just taking away the treasure, right? So these holy objects that have been a part of Israel's worship are being treated as common, essentially. Uh, they're just being carted off for their value, their monetary value, that's it. Right? And so what bigger picture what's happening here is that this is sort of a, a reverse exodus. Okay, so think about this. When God delivered his people from Egypt, they were in bondage in a foreign land 
and God brought them out of their slavery and he brought them into the promised land. And when he brought them out of Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians. God told them to ask for jewelry and whatnot, and the people of Egypt gave it to them, and then they sent them out of the land, and so they came out of Egypt with all this plunder, and they used that plunder to build the tabernacle, right? And then later that's uh, replaced by the temple. Now, the temple is being destroyed, burned down, and the gold and silver and such that were used to uh, build that temple and the instruments of the temple, they are being carried off. The Babylonians are plundering the people of Jerusalem, and the people of Jerusalem are being carried off into a foreign land. They're being taken into exile. So it's a reversal of the exodus. And this makes sense, right? Because when God brought the people out of Egypt with all that plunder, brought them out of slavery, he brought them to Mount Sinai and said, if you're going to be my people, you need to obey my voice. And here's what you are going to do. And they said, we will obey. We will do it. But they didn't. They didn't obey. From virtually the beginning, they were idolaters, right? Even there, um, while Moses was up on the mountain, they had uh, Aaron build the golden calf, which they worshipped. And they've been worshiping idols at least off and on ever since then. And so because of their unfaithfulness, God is now reversing, as it were, the exodus. Now they are being plundered by the Babylonians instead of plundering the Egyptians. And they are being carried off into exile in a foreign land rather than being delivered from a foreign land and brought into the promised land. So this is a major moment, right, in the history of of Israel. Okay, um, verse 18, it says, And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war, and five men of the king's council who were found in the city, and the secretary of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land, and sixty men of the people of the land who were found in the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. So more of the people are executed here. And um, we just get this summary statement, right, that this is Judah being taken into exile. That is what has happened here. Now, story's not over yet. Verse 22, and over the people who remain in the land of Judah, remember he left some of the poorest of the poor, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, he appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, governor. Now when all the captains and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, governor, they came with their men to Gedaliah at Mizpah, namely, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and Johanan, the son of Kareah, and Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, the Netophathite, and Jazaniah, the son of the Makathite. Uh, and Gedaliah swore to them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid because of the Chaldean officials. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. So he's saying, okay, look, we're here. Babylon's in charge. Let's just do what they say, and things will be good enough, right? But 
they apparently didn't like that. It says, but in the seventh month, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, son of Elishama of the royal family, came with ten men and struck down Gedaliah and put him to death along with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. Then all the people, both small and great, and the captains of the forces arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. So the man that was put in charge is assassinated, and those who put him to death flee to Egypt because they are afraid of the Chaldeans. Now that, so far, this story is pretty dark, right? This is a pretty sad uh, ending. It is a, a sad fate that Israel has, has suffered or that Judah has suffered. They brought it on themselves, of course. God was immensely patient uh, for generations. He exercised patience. He sent prophets. He sent warnings. He reminded his people of what they were supposed to do. He warned them about what was coming. He told them what would happen if they weren't faithful to him. But they persisted in their unfaithfulness and their sin and their idolatry. And finally, God has brought the judgment on them that he had been warning them about for so long. But the book does end with a ray of hope. This is not the end of Judah's story. This is not the end of God's dealings with his people. And there's a hint of that at the end of 2 Kings. It says, uh, beginning in verse 27, And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, Evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave, a, gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, according to his daily needs, so long as he lived." Now, this is a note of hope because Jehoiachin, remember, he was taken into exile back in chapter 24. In fact, he was taken into exile um, 11 years before, give or take, before the temple was destroyed. And now this raising up of Jehoiachin, this happened 25 years after the temple was destroyed for a total of about 37 years. And um, this, so it's been a long time, right? Israel's been, or Judah's been in exile now for a long time. But the king is lifted up. He's no longer in prison. Uh, he gets to wear regular clothes. He gets to eat at the king's table. The king gives him an allowance. Uh, there's a new king in Babylon, right? It's evil Merodach. It's not Nebuchadnezzar anymore. And uh, so this lifting up of the king is a note of hope because it indicates that um, perhaps the rest of the people of Judah will be lifted up one day as well. And we know that they will. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied that the exile would last 70 years. And Ezra tells us in the opening lines of his book that uh, the king of the Persians, right, King Cyrus, it says in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. That's referring to that prophecy of a 70-year exile. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. 
and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So the people are going to get to go back and they're going to get to rebuild the temple. And the king is even going to provide at least some of the materials, uh, the resources necessary for building the temple. So um, you get a return to the land and a rebuilding of the temple. So the story is not over. And the lifting up of King Jehoiachin is a note of hope, right, that, that foreshadows, that looks forward to uh, the time when all the people of Judah will be set free, as it were, and be allowed to return to the promised land. Now, God has given us an even greater note of hope by raising up from the dead our King Jesus. Right, think about this. We still are living in a kind of exile. Right? This world is not our home. We are looking forward to the day when Christ returns and we get to enter the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. But in the meantime, God has showed us what his plan is for us for the future. And he has given us a, a strong and secure hope for that future by raising up Jesus, our King, raising him from the dead to signal not only that we will be raised up one day, but that we will be raised to eternal life, that we'll return not merely to a small promised land, but to the promised new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. So what happened to Israel uh, functions both as a warning, right, and as a encouragement to us. It right? warns us against the consequences of turning away from the Lord and turning to idols. Flee idolatry, the Bible tells us, right? Stay away from that. Be faithful to the Lord. But it also shows us that even when we are in dark and difficult times, God does not abandon his people. God keeps his promises to his people. And God has shown us that not only through the story of 2 Kings and the fact that Judah's story is not over at this point, but even more so, he has shown us that in the resurrection of his son, King Jesus, whose resurrection from the dead secures our resurrection from the dead. And with all of that, we say, come Lord Jesus. God bless.